next week is Mother's Day, so here's your second warning. Uh, Richard warned you last week, and I should say warning sounds kind of like negative, I guess I should say. It's more like, here, here's, I'm reminding, here's your alert. Um, what we are going to do is we are, we're going to just celebrate um, some individuals, and so we're going to have gifts for people. So next Sunday is also a great Sunday uh, to be in person, maybe, maybe bring your mom as well. We'd love to have you gather with us. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I feel in this moment a little bit all over the place. Um, the reason why, and I just want to be transparent with you, is we have people traveling, we have people out sick, like very sick um, and serious. And so one of the things of all those changes that kind of gets me stirred up and gets me going is I really want Generations Church to be a people who is aware of this, who have built relationships and built trust with stories and aren't relying on their pastor to always be the one to reach out and initiate. Um, so I just want to take 30 seconds before I get into teaching time and just ask God, is there someone I need to text? There's someone I need to reach out to. Maybe it's not just sickness. Maybe it's a congratulations. Maybe something good has happened to someone and it's like, oh, I've been meeting to text them. Alert, here's your chance. Send them that text. I just want to give 30 seconds of silence and give you an opportunity to just do that. Maybe someone who's sick to encourage. I'm praying for you. Maybe someone who has something good. Um, grab your phone and do that. And so 30 seconds, timer starts now. Appreciate all you who are texting me. <laughs> Let me pray for us. God, thank you for moving towards us making yourself known to us. For giving us peace when we need it. For bringing people into our lives when we need it. God, for the wounds that are festering or better left untouched right now, God, would you provide healing? God, I, I want us, I want to want to love you with my whole being. And 
I confess there are moments when I don't. I ask you to be true to yourself and be patient with me, long-suffering and unrelenting in your love. Speak to us this morning, whether near or far, whether ready or not. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm. So if you're holding a cup of coffee and someone bumps into you, shakes your arm, rattles you a little bit, and out spills some coffee, why did you spill coffee? Because you have coffee to spill. It's not because the person bumped you or ran into you or maybe took your eye off the the bar, did a little too full. It's because you had coffee in your cup. Had you had tea in your cup, you would have spilled tea. Have you had a cup full of donuts? You would have spilled donuts. Whatever is inside the cup, it will spill out. When life comes along and shakes you, when you're inconvenienced, when you run up against difficult things or uncertain things, which will happen, difficulty, frustration, whatever is inside of you will come out. It's easy to fake a smile, well wishes, Life's good. Until you get rattled. Because when your beliefs are challenged, when your faith is challenged, when your life is not as steady or as stable as you would like it to be, pressure is applied, and therefore what is inside of you will come out. What you really believe will show up. Because you can tell people oh, all the time, I, I believe this or I, I believe that. But the people around you, know you who know you best, who you've let inside um, and seen you personally, will be able to say, yeah, they say that. But when things get tough, the action doesn't quite look like what they would say. When pressure is applied, when life rattles you. What is inside will come out. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about loving God with our whole being, with everything that we have, everything that we are, from our innermost parts, our, 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 who we only know of ourselves to be, to the increasing social spaces. Seeing all of those places truly respond to God in such a way that says, I love you. And if you've caught on to the movement by which love manifests, it starts inside. And it works its way out consistently and congruently. When there's there's integrity in your core, when, when there's an actual love, when there's an actual life change in your innermost being, that spills out. It overflows. When things rattle you or shake you, 
it comes out. And some of us are content to, to play the image management game or even the sin management game and try to put ourselves right into position, maybe even try to put like fake lids on things so we can pretend that, that we don't ever have to deal what's inside, but it will always come out. And so as we look at the Shema, as we look at this prayer that Moses gives the Israelites, there's these increasing circles that we are to respond, or Israel was to respond with loving God, with their heart, with their soul, and all of their strength. It's increasing in scope, but it starts at the core, in the center. And sheer willpower never is enough to control what's inside and what may or may not come out. We exist incongruently within ourselves. There, there's a mismatch at certain times where we're at war with what we want to do versus what we actually do. And yet we still find ways to remind ourselves to try to be consistent. I, I think of silly ways like a base at baseball games, like they have players have these walk-up songs where it's like where they strut to the plate with the same music. Why? Because it's trying to and pump them up, get them going, so that when they step up to the plate, they are ready to go and hit the ball. They can be true, they've got the routine, they're ready to go to make a hit, to do what they need to do to be successful. We try things like that all the time, listening to the same music, same little mantras, to try to just build ourselves and say, okay, what, the way I feel maybe at the moment inside of me is not what I want to come out. And so we're trying to pivot or flip our mind around in such a way so that it's like, okay, because I want to be this person, but I'm not quite there yet or because of how I feel. And there's, there's inconsistencies. And what happens is we try all of these lesser ways to manufacture change than the way that's actually most pervasive and successful of all, which is not by moving towards willpower, but it's actually more surrender. And surrender is this posture where we go from a closed grip of things on our life to release. And if we are to love God with our total being, with every aspect of our life, we have to become increasingly comfortable with identifying areas where we've held really, really tightly and start to release them. And not just release them in the sense of, Kyle, I agree with you, okay, like I... Think of something, okay, good, release, there we go. It's when pressure is applied to that area of your life. Are we here? Or are we here? And it's challenging. And I, I, I'm not here to say like it, it just, it's automatically going to be easier. You're going to get it right every time. But we know that the, the first step is identifying where are areas that I'm closed off to? And how, God, can you enact change there? Because you feel the consequences of choices in your own life where you've lived like this. There are people that you hold dear who have also felt the consequences 
when you've held life like this? It's the conversation I heard the other day, actually, it was, I was at work, and it was a coworker, and he was asking her boss, he's like, are you sure I'm not going to get fired? Are you sure I'm not going to get fired? And it was like, no matter how many times, it's like, this is not a fireable thing, like, you're doing your job, you're doing what? Well. Like, no matter how many times, like, the boss just kept saying that, like, my coworker just kept saying, how many times have you in conversation where someone has said something, and because of past experience, because of past wounds or hurt, or even because of insecurity within yourself, you go... Are you sure? Are you sure? Can that really be true? And how we start to counteract that is not by sheer willpower of trying to make it true ourselves, but receiving the truth that God has already given us, accepting that, and then responding to it, putting it into practice. So let me read the words of the Shema that Moses shared to the Israelites. And here's what you got to know is they were going from a place of wandering, a place of chaos, a place of actually they had grumbled and complained a whole lot because they, they were tossed to and fro. But now they were going to a place from a place of really insecurity and unstableness and wilderness to a place of actual rest and promise. And what Moses is trying to remind them is in this moment that the temptation is going to be to pursue the comfort and the outcomes of the promise rather than the promise giver. And so the words were going to be prayed morning and evening to remind Israel who they were and ultimately who God was and how they might respond when they understand that it's not their success, it's not their willpower that gave them a place of rest, a place of satisfaction, but it's actually the God who intervened on their behalf. And so this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 3 through 9. It says, listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey, a place of comfort. Verse 4, it says this, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts or on your house and on your gates. Moses, in his final series of speeches, gives them this, along with a whole lot of other laws, repeats them, tries to contextualize them, but wants them to love God with their total being. Because he's not going to be able to be with them in the new place of promise. He's trying to give them tools and resources so that wherever they go and whatever they do, that they are reminded about who God is and what he has done and how they should respond. Anybody who's a parent knows um, that you can't always be with your kids at all times. 
And part of life is giving them the tools and resources so that no matter where they go or what they do, the type of character they, they have, both when they are around you and when they are near to you and when they are far from you, that it's consistent. And so Moses, he gives them this prayer, and it would serve them as a reminder. But what's interesting, as we've looked at each and every one of these words, we've looked at Yahweh, we've looked at what love is, we've looked at heart and soul, and as we come to the word of strength, we kind of wonder, well, Kyle, last week, if, if, if you were here, what I mentioned is that part of our body is, is a part of our soul. Um, I actually have a graphic um, Corey, if you're back there, let me let me go ahead and throw up that I got a I got some concentric circles that I, I want to throw up real quick, and so like you start to see that as at just a, a picture of this that your body is actually a part of your soul. So then when you get to the word strength, it kind of is like wait, are we talking like just more body movement, like more muscles, more aspects? And the Hebrew word for strength is the actual word mayad. And it occurs some 300 times within the scriptures. And it doesn't actually mean strength. There was a perfectly good word that they could have used for strength. They don't use it here. In fact, the Shema is one of the only places in the whole Bible where mayad is translated as strength. Sometimes it's also translated as might if you have a different. And that gets closer to the move of what it means to love God as it expands from our innermost being to our bodies and to the world around us. Mayad is actually an adverb, meaning much or very. It's a modifier. It's a word that comes alongside other words to augment their meaning. The Bible Project has a nifty little video um, on this word, and let me just give you one of the examples that they give in their video. They like in Genesis chapter one, God looks at the world he's made and six times he calls it good. But then in the climatic seventh time, he says it's mayad, good. That is very good. Later in Genesis, in the story of Noah, the floodwaters keep rising and they become mayad, powerful, or extremely powerful over the land. So mayad doesn't mean strength and terms of muscle power, but rather very or much. So when we start to return to the Shema, where people are called to love God with all of their heart, that is their will and affections, with all of their soul, that is their whole life and physical being, and with all of their mayad, that is with all of their muchness. That sounds kind of funny. You also, I think, kind of get it. When you love God with not just your will and affections, but with your body, but with all of your muchness, it's an overflow of love that spills into everything around you. See, the word mayad doesn't limit the number of ways you can show love for God. In effect, Moses is saying to love God without reservation or qualification with all that you have and everything that's under your influence. The applications are limitless. As you start to survey the things you touch, the things under your influence, your home, your workplace, your family, 
And you start to think about, if I'm precisely in this place around all of these things, all of these people, and I have influence in different ways, what might my response to them, with them, or even when they respond to me, maybe in all kinds of other ways, like bump me and spill my coffee, what's going to come out of me in that moment? It's our responses in such a way that it is an actual loving type response that ultimately attributes to a love of God. So this may definitely include resources at your disposal, your relationship, your relational influence with others, your creative capacity, your leadership ability. We have a value at Generations that we spirit over self. And one of the, the aspects that when people sometimes hear that, they think like, well, that's, that's like, like, am I supposed to say notice like self and, or like, or as, as I mean, I'm not valued or how, how does that all work? And what spirit over self, the value articulated says that we're putting God's purposes and priorities ahead of our own where we live, work, and play. To love God with your muchness, it stretches you into all three. You survey your life. And you say, God, I am precisely here. Work in me, work through me. Change my heart so as I change my demeanor, as I change my attitudes, my actions follow. Which means the character at you play, where you are, starts to reflect a love that's received. And then you can give a love. That has not been earned, it's not been willed, but it's been received. And we start to think about these areas, live, work, and play. Sometimes we think, okay, work, boss's time, live, family time, play, my time. And we start to segment out whose authority over which areas. And what love with all of our strength, it starts to remove the nice, clean divisions that we've created. Because no, you're not on your boss's time. You're on God's time. All the time. And where, when, when you are at work, maybe receiving a paycheck, how are you responding? What is spilling out of you? When you are with your family, what is spilling out of you? When you are even on your time, your play time, is it that nice, neat little corner that remains untouched by God? Or are you even opened up and said, God, do what you will with me during that time? Think about the last time you drove down the highway. What kept other cars on their side of the road and prevented them from running into your car? Maybe sanity, but the answer is something called a lane. At some point, someone somewhere decided the road should contain stripes. 
white ones to separate people going the same direction and yellow ones to separate people going the opposite direction. As a result, people can travel safely and orderly as they drive down the road. Take away the lines and watch what happens. The person who drives the paint truck for the lines on the road does not have a mundane job. They're saving lives, literally. When you start to think about the domains and the spheres of your life, where the love of God starts to take hold of your heart and start to spill out to, it's not mundane. It can actually be an adventure, which is why we need the Spirit of God to give us guidance in those moments, to know what we should pursue, how we should respond, because in some ways, you go into uncharted territory. It's a path when you've actually surrendered to Jesus and given your life over to him. You're, you're willing to say, I'm letting go of the reins and I'm surrendering that control, which means that as I respond in loving ways in each of these areas, there's not quite a nice little checklist or roadmap or you know, maybe even Google Maps on your phone to figure out how to go and where to turn. But while we don't have that technology, what we do have access to is the Spirit in those moments to give us guidance and to show us what love is like because the Spirit is consistent with Jesus. Amen. And so when Moses writes this, when he, when he gives this to the Israelites as he's not going to be with them, he wants them wherever they are and whatever they do to love God with their muchness. Sometime during the next week, someone will need to receive prayer from a pastor, nurture and discipline from a mother, a home to live in from a carpenter, a life insurance policy from an insurance person, a car fixed by a mechanic, instruction from a teacher. People are interconnected. Your vocation isn't your boss's time. It's God's time. No one else can be where you are. Part of understanding a loving God with your soul is understanding where you are precisely. I can't step into some of the spaces that God has you right now to step into some of the conversations and some of the relationships, but you can. And when you allow the love of God to transform your heart and move out from amongst you, you take the love of God with you to places and people that I may never say, see or, or meet. And the challenge for us as a church is to hear these words and interpret them through the lens of Jesus because Jesus came, he died, and he rose again to give the Spirit to us so that the people of God didn't have to go to a place to get instruction from God, but to interact with his word and the spirit to live his love wherever they are. Because you don't need Kyle with you on your shoulder being like, you should do this or you shouldn't do that. You have the living, powerful spirit inside of you to give you guidance. And that voice sounds like what God wrote. And so how do you get to a place where you're the one person no matter where you are? 
where there's not inconsistencies, where you're not viewing your, your work as your boss's time or your, your play time as your time or your family time as, you know, someone else's time and you're just there to tolerate it, but you're the same person living loved congruently in all those spaces. It's starting to view those as not so much as inconveniences, but an invitation by God. Because as you step into those spaces, that's an opportunity to put the love of God into practice in real time, to experience his presence and power so that you can encounter his love and can express it to those around you. And then even as I say that, I, as I was kind of taking my notes for this morning, it was like, the question that came to me, is that even possible? Is this an unfair ask by God to us? To live love that every moment, to be so connected and attached to him that our natural default response is not selfishness, is not bitterness, is not hate or envy but is one of love. And I think the Apostle Paul, reflecting on Jesus' life in his letter to the Philippians, he actually, he writes something that I think is, is pretty powerful. He's in jail. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, he says this. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm pressured by both. Sounds like he's pretty conflicted. I have the desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. In chapter 2, he says this, If then, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affliction and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not out for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who is existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name so that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow and all those who are heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God 
the Father. Hmm. To love God with your muchness means to repent and respond in ways that are inconsistent with God's love for you. To take stock, to account, to open yourselves up, and to say, I've been closed off here. And to confess, and to respond, and to receive. And what's so beautiful is that the God of the universe offers that exchange. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to start checking off all of these right actions. It's Christ's perfection lived, died on the cross and resurrected in exchange for your life so that you can live fully loved and approved of every day, everywhere, all at once, for people, not for yourself. The word mayah doesn't limit the number of ways you can show love for God. Just the opposite. Every point, every moment, and every opportunity, every availability and capacity offers a chance to love and honor the one who made you. The Shema, as we conclude this series, is an invitation and a reminder to love God with our heart, to love God with our soul, and love God with everything else because he first loved you. And that's the meaning and strength of the Shema. Let me pray, and then we'll close out with our benediction. God, you are good. right now, wherever we find ourselves, whether we need our heart changed, whether we need our soul to become more loving, whether we need our muchness to become more loving, God, may we first simply understand and know that you love us. May we receive that love, your kindness, your grace, And may we live in such a way where we're consistent in every year of our lives with that love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What I'd like to do as we close, per our every week, is to just do our benediction and pray together. And so, if we can, Pastor, um, thank you, um, thank you. Um, is there any prayer requests today? Mm. Is there anyone that needs prayer? Have the pastor up here, Bob. Darcy is fasting right now. Can you bring that up? Okay, we Darcy. can pray. We can pray for pray. Darcy. Yes. Mm. Kajian Sena's uh, food poisoning. Mm. Talk to 
another woman for prayer. We have people here. Um, we have Ruth is sitting here. Uh, Carissa uh, sitting there. We have uh, women here that will pray with mm. you. Um, I just feel like when Pastor got up and said, you know, this isn't just uh, let's do our three points, our songs, mm -hmm. and go home and see you next week. But this is a place, really, you guys, it's a place where you can get draw closer to God. And not only draw closer to God, but uh, people are here that will walk with you. And what I found out working with this pastor is I can't do it by myself. And when I surrendered, there was a peace that he said that passes understanding. So have something because because I'm broken you know I'm broken I'll be the first to admit it but I know God doesn't want me to stay there so if you got any other prayer requests yeah God intercedes for us absolutely Amen. Amen. well let's let's pray that and we'll I need prayer I just so um <clears throat> praying you guys know my mom yeah. praying for her as her dementia gets yeah. worse uh, and praying for grace, uh, my heart goes out for her because, you know, we can tell if each other, my, my head hurt, uh, my teeth hurt, um, I'm hungry, I'm, this doesn't happen, she can't do that. And uh, I just, my heart breaks when I think about that every time. Um, but we did a song today, which is in the word, his grace is sufficient for us. Mm. And even it though is. we may not like it, it is. where we're at, his grace is sufficient for grace, it too. Is. Amen. It so is. pray for me, too, please. Yes. Well, let's, that's, as we close this prayer, that's what this is. It's a prayer for people together. I mentioned this last week, but it's a you prayer. Amen. An I prayer or a my prayer. Amen. And so as we say these words together... Have Charles in mind, because the, the words that you're speaking, the words that you're praying are Amen. for him. Amen. They're for John. They're for Darcy. They're, 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 yeah. for, they're for others. Yeah. And so I, I, as we do this each and every week, it's not just the thing you say at the right. end of our gathering. Right. It's really, it's a prayer of blessing it's for and interceding Roy. for Roy. For Roy. Yeah. So let's pray this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Through this reality, may you live your faith every day, everywhere. May God's family expand and grow. May your motivation be because of Jesus living out his story. May you make his ways be known and then live for generations to come. Amen. May you receive that and have a great week.